a rich tradition. College Football Podcast is now live. And welcome to a rich tradition. I'm one of your hosts, uh, Robbie Stumpole. I am normally paired up with my boy, Spencer Van Horn, um, but this is a special little episode. Um, Spencer is busy tonight. Um, he is, I think he's on the road with the Vallis State basketball team doing his normal calling games thing. Um, and I want to react to what I've just seen today in the um, the New Year's Day or, or not New Year's Day. But yeah, New Year's Day bowl games. Um and in, not in some in-depth thing, but I have some thoughts basically for every game. Um, specifically, three. One, for, one, one big thought for Georgia. A litany of thoughts for the Notre Dame. And then a very, very <laughs> focused amount of thoughts on Clemson. So... Um, Let's uh, let's begin with uh, just mentioning today because the game did happen that uh, Northwestern beat the crap out of Auburn, and um, I have no idea what that program is going to be like in a year. Um, but we'll we'll see what happens. Um, I think Bo Nix is a problem, and I I just don't know I don't know what you can do with him. Maybe maybe this new quarter you know the new quarterbacks coach and OC that Brian Harson brings in will be better, but um, it's just kind of hard to think of something positive there with, um, with how bad they looked and how bad he has looked for the last, I guess, you know, let's say two years, essentially. Um, but let's go ahead and get some positives out of the way. Let's go ahead and look at Georgia today um, in literally a barn burner, a very tight game against the um, Cincinnati. Uh, number 18 versus number 19 in the country, team in the country, uh, face off today. Uh, Georgia was missing players. Uh, Cincinnati was missing players as well. Um, but everyone, the narrative around it was, would Georgia show up like they didn't against Texas, or would they show up like they did against Baylor? And I'm going to tell you, um, I was not worried about motivation. Um, finding out that Richard LeCount was doing everything he could play, Aziz Ojolari, was coming to play. Jordan Davis was coming to play. Um, I was not worried about effort today. Um, I was a little worried, though, when you started hearing that only two of the offensive line starters was going to be playing. Um, Trey Hill being out, Ben Cleveland up and out, and um, uh, one other player getting hurt, and I, for the life of me, cannot remember his name. Um, so I'm just going to move on. But, yeah, it was just uh, a weird – a weird expectation coming into the game. They were a seven-point favorite. Um, finding out, you know, that Monty Rice is going to be out. Uh, Eric Stokes was going to be out. Clay or Mark Webb was going to be out. You know, you just you really just look at the your your team and you're like, okay, well, that's a lot of dudes being out. But you know, Georgia has recruited well, so I was confident that they were going to win this game. Uh, in fact, I think on the podcast I said they were going to cover and win pretty handily. Um, but that was not the case. Um, to be honest, actually, though, I mean, Cincinnati looked like they were going to try to win the game handily. And something happened. 
um, something something really really awesome happened from a Georgia fan's perspective, and I'm putting my Georgia fan hat on for this little breakdown, and we'll talk. We'll, we'll, Spencer and I will talk more in depth about the game um, in a few days, but I, I would just wanted to talk about just coaches and appearances and kind of just stuff like that, and and man, I was just so impressed with the adjustments that were made in the second half. Um, at halftime from Kirby and Dan Lanning. And, um, you know, they were pretty much getting, not gashed, like that's not the right word because they weren't, like they weren't putting up a ton of points. But, you know, they just, they didn't seem to be able to, they weren't winning the game. They weren't controlling the line of scrimmage. They weren't controlling really anything in the game at all. They had three trips into the red zone essentially and they walked away with zero points. Um, two interceptions and, or an interception, a fumble, and I believe, um, a missed field goal. I can't remember. Anyway, I don't want to get bogged down into that. I just want to say that I thought I was so impressed with Kirby Smart and Dan Lanning. You know, they gave up the huge run to start the half, and you're like, oh crap, well, you know, this game's over. But this Georgia team never stopped fighting. And, you know, a lot of people are going to now, you're going to wipe away, you know, people are going to build up the Cincinnati team. Better watch out. Better watch out. They're a team that's possessed, a team that's got a ton of motivation, but in reality, you know, and they were that. And so now that Georgia's went, Georgia beats them off a last second field goal. I do not want to hear you. I don't want to hear people renege on that. I want people to give Georgia the credit they deserve in coming back in a game where they could have thrown their hands up. Hey, we'll start next year strong. No, they didn't. They fought, they came back, they drove down and they won off a last second field goal and there's just a couple of truths that I believe about this. One, Jake Fromm would not have been able to make a lot of the throws that were made today by JT Daniels. Two, I think with all my heart and soul that Blankenship would have missed that field goal because he missed several big field goals to win games for Georgia. And I believe we lose that game if Mark Richt is the coach. We are – I am done – I will I will now after this season after the what Kirby Smart has done the season that he's had of being 8 and 2 with covid like everyone else has gone through no spring no summer but going from from August to now of us having literally four different starting quarterbacks from the time of the beginning of August to now I don't know many teams, especially in the top 10, that went through more adversity than George did. And Kirby was able to pull out an 8-2 and two record. And, yeah, the two games that – the two biggest games of the year they lost. Had a had a you know, walk-on two-star at quarterback. That is no fault of anyone else, anyone's own because, hey, we had our starting quarterback in Jamie Newman, and he decided to walk. Um, I do not regret him, by the way, leaving – I regret that he left in August. I wish he would have left much sooner because it took a lot of first-team reps away from players. But, again, Kirby Smart did not let his team quit. He did not let them keep their head down. There was this moment in the game, and, and I'll move on, I promise, after this. There's a moment where um, it was either, I think, oh, no, it was a shanked punt by uh, Camarda. All-American punter, which was mentioned like 17 times, by the way, and during the game. Uh, Kamarda shanks a punt, 
And it was literally like a four-yard punt. <laughs> and he walks over the sidelines, and Kirby doesn't scream in his face. He just says, you know I love you. And he pats him on the back, and he says, and he says, don't, and you can see his mouth, he says, don't let it happen again. And that was just a moment where I just like, you know what, Kirby is, Kirby is done with the theatrics on the sidelines when it doesn't need to be. He'll get passionate, he'll get motivated, but he doesn't let his emotions control him on the sidelines any longer. Some would say, myself included, that punting the ball with three minutes ago was a bad idea. I still believe it was a bad call, but it paid off. He believed in his defense. He believed in JT Daniels, and Georgia wins the game. And again, I don't think that happens if Mark Richt is the coach. So here we go, going into 2021 with a loaded offense, and I have no idea what this defense is going to be. But let's move on to the negatives. Uh, and this is, I called a message Spencer, and I said, hey, man, I really just need to get these thoughts out of my head. And so here we go. I am done defending the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Many of you know, if you listen to the podcast, my father is a huge Notre Dame fan. And so by proxy, I have his, I've been as well. I've, I've been a fan of him, of them ever since I was a kid when my dad forced me to watch them. But I just, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed watching them. And I have defended them a lot over the years. And I, I just, I can't any longer. And let me tell you why I can't any longer. I can't because they are just not built to win these games. Notre Dame is 0-7 in the BCS or New York Six Bowls era since 1998. They have been outscored by 161 points. The positives, since 2017, they have an 86% winning percentage. That's incredible. They have won a lot of games. Brian Kelly has won a lot of games, but Brian Kelly may have hit his ceiling. This may be his ceiling. I remember in 2012 when they faced off against Bama, and you know everybody remembers the drubbing that they received in that game. I remember watching it, just incredibly sad. Um, but they got they got handled physically and size wise. It was just obvious. And so it took seven years, over the last seven years, but they've gotten bigger. They've gotten stronger. And it's been it's obvious that they have gotten better as a program. And if you don't give them credit for that, like, I mean, I just, I have a hard time respecting your opinion anyway. If you don't, if you can't at least give them that. But today, they are two times in the last month, they have been handled by teams that are much faster than they are. One of those teams is Bama again. They had no threat on the outside to go over the top. Their quarterback, Ian Book, who I really respect and I really like, and I, I love that he, you know, he's a three-star kid who has got the best winning percentage he's won, or whatever, best winning percentage as a quarterback for Notre Dame history. Brian Kelly also is probably getting next season going to end up being the winningest, high, the winningest coach at Notre Dame. It's a really big deal. However, I believe that they have hit a ceiling. Because they cannot get the elite athletes and skill at skill positions and quarterback that other teams in the country can. And a lot of that has to do with the recruiting standards, the discipline standards, and the academic standards that are at Notre Dame. 
Brian Kelly has done a lot with what he's able to do. If you want to look at his recruiting classes, I believe they averaged like nine or 10 over the last several years. And that's really impressive. But go look at their standards, man. Go look at what they've done. or Look what he's been able to do with, with the talent that he's been able to recruit. And it's been very impressive. This is not a knock. Nothing I say is necessarily a knock on Brian Kelly. I'll get to that in a minute. They are just outmatched and outmanned. And I just, I cannot, I can't, I can't defend them any longer. I cannot until they are able to change their standards in which they allow Brian Kelly and this staff to recruit. I will no longer defend them. I just won't, which me, leads me to also say they need to join the ACC full time. I've never thought that. I've never thought they need to join a conference until this year because they need a freaking boost in recruiting. And I don't know any other way to do it right now outside of basically transforming their standards or joining a conference where they can be seen constantly by these players that they're trying to recruit. I um, mean, you know, on these ACC networks. Um, like, you know, my father and my brother, huge Notre Dame fans, you know, they love to talk about the the um, the prestige of NBC and having your own network. You know, well, that doesn't necessarily matter anymore whenever you're getting blown out in games and, you know, on national television. And they can't, they can't let that happen any longer. And so I, I think just think some things have to change. Now with Brian Kelly, dude, how come you – your team just also like gives up so quickly. Yeah, you may be out out talented, but talented, but why are you getting out coached? How are you getting out coached as much as you are? Like you got out coached in 2017 by Kirby Smart, a second year head coach. You got out coached. You've been out coached by so many different teams over the years in big games, important games. You've won, like. You know, Syracuse is my favorite basketball team, but there are just a lot of times where Syracuse is lost in games, in big games, because there seems to be either a talent differential or they just they get out coached. And you know, uh, oh man, uh, Jim Beheim is you know if he didn't have those ridiculous you know. Uh, restrictions by the NCAA throwing down on him, then he probably would be the winningest coach in college basketball history. But it doesn't matter if you don't win the games that you have to win. And Brian Kelly has refused and been unable to win the games that he has to win. And tonight was no different. Tonight was just as bad, if not worse, than any of the other games that he should have that he should have won. Um. I'm just I'm I'm so disappointed tonight. I'm disappointed in I'm disappointed in Notre Dame. I'm disappointed in Brian Kelly because I want to defend this guy. I want him to do well, and I, you know I give him all the respect in the world for what he has achieved at Notre Dame. But dear God, can you not get boat raced every time you play a legit team? Just just please. You know they they made they made a lot of people money tonight who voted on them you know who bet on them to cover the spread, but at the end of the day Notre Dame is no longer defensible. I don't care if you win the ACC title. I don't care if you beat a Trevor Lawrence-less uh, a Clemson. By the way, that win no longer is as Im- impressive, especially since they just got destroyed by Ohio State tonight. 
I've been I was really disappointed tonight. And my my brother and my my dad, they're also super disappointed. But you know, my dad is gonna my dad will wake up tomorrow morning, he'll continue to defend Notre Dame and their prestige. Well, in my opinion, their prestige is no longer valid. Their prestige is no longer there. They've lost their prestige. It's still a great program. It's still a top ten job in the country. If 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 my son ever wanted to play at Notre Dame, I would I would I would do everything I could to let him go play and go attend Notre Dame. But I will no longer defend this this program or these teams in big games. I'll never I will I will no longer argue for them to be in the playoff until they show me they are worthy of being in the playoff. Now, lastly, Dabo. What's up, buddy? Dabo. Number 11, huh? Only 6 games, not a lot of film to watch. Don't really there's not a lot of not a lot you need to study. Well, should have been a lot more that you studied. If you maybe you would have studied a little bit more, maybe and talked a little less trash this year, maybe you wouldn't have gotten spanked tonight by Justin Fields. A hurt Justin Fields. I believe that kid's really hurt. Uh, Justin Fields and this Ohio State team that just took you to the woodshed and beat you worse than I've seen you beaten in a long time. And I, I, I even I'm counting last year's national championship game too. Because at least like last year, you know, it was a little tit for tat at times and you know LSU was just unstoppable. But tonight you you got you got drubbed by a team that was less talented, that was missing stud starters, and you just did not look ready to play. And so tonight, I laugh at you, Dabo. I I've lost respect for you this year, as as people have already heard me say on the podcast. You, you open your mouth too many times, man, and you need to be able to you need to be able to take it. And for a month, all these players Ohio State heard was that hey, you voted them number eleven, or how you didn't think it was you know they were very impressive, or they didn't deserve to be in the playoff. And you try to walk it back and blame the Big Ten, but what you really did is that you just threw teams under the bus. You threw players under the bus who had been listening. And then they backed that bus over you, sir, numerous times. Justin Fields is going to be a stud in the NFL, and I have no idea what's going to happen next week. I have plenty of time to think about that. Praise God for that. But tonight, today, man, it it forced me to have a lot of thoughts. I have a lot of thoughts, and I hope this wasn't too boring. I hope that maybe some of you agree with me. Maybe some of you disagree with me. I'd love to hear what you have to say. But tonight was a great day of college football. No, the results you know, were not as great as we thought. There were three blowouts today and a really close game. But I'm so thankful that my team came out on top. But yeah, I do – and one last thing, I apologize. We're going to extend this a little bit longer. Dan Mullen, you got to quit making excuses every time you lose a game. You got to quit sounding like you're making excuses. And I told a friend this, and I'm starting to believe it more and more. The comparisons with with Dan Mullen and Mark Richt are very valid. They're becoming more and more valid every year. The difference between Mark Richt and Dan Mullen, I thought, was going to be that Dan Mullen had an opportunity to get rid of the problem and fix the problem this year, this offseason. With Todd Grantham. It's not just Todd Grantham, by the way. It's their offensive line as well. 
But as we found out today, you've decided to keep Todd Grantham. You're going to fire, apparently. You're going to get rid of the, the coaches around them and let Grantham stay. I think it's time to move on. I think you need to quit trying to be like Mark Rick and be loyal and be nice. And you need to get mean. You know, my friend Dave, uh, Dave Waters from the Gator Breakdown, he said it really well the night the night, the night night they lost to Oklahoma. He said, you know, a couple years ago, you said that you, you want to win in everything, including thumb war. And I think he's right. There's no longer – this year you have not shown that kind of fight at all. You've shown someone who makes excuses – Points a, points a finger in other directions and doesn't take any of the blame. You can say whatever you want about Kirby Smart. You can bash him all you want, and he deserves bashing for certain things. But he always takes the credit when there's a loss. He always gives credit when there's a win. He always takes the credit whenever they lose. Because at the end of the day, I think that's the coach's responsibility. Be a leader, man. Be the adult in the room and not be a child. Guys, that's my thoughts for the night. I hope that wasn't too boring. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, how did Spencer do this? Oh, yeah. Two friends, one love, and that is college football. Have a good night.